some tissues. I'm not a crier. I joke with my wife that I'm an internal crier. And I have to tell her to indicate. I'm crying right now, actually. But uh, whenever the guys come and hear stories, it makes me cry outwardly. So it's good. Good check that I'm still a functioning human being. I can cry. I have emotions. Um, are we good with the webcast? All right, sweet. Uh, all right, so obstacle falsehood. Last year, I, I uh, taught on uh, gifts of the spirit, and uh, kind of gave a critique on charismatic movement, evangelical movement, um, just broad critique. And uh, it's kind of like the elections, where you know we're always complaining: why is it only Republican and Democratic? Why is the whole country like dichotomized into two subsets? You know, and it's it's, it's so much more complex than that. A lot of times we do that in our faith, you know, just charismatic and evangelical or whatever, cessationist or uh, everyone's divided between Calvinism or Armenian or whatever. We, we do this a lot, um, but those are not the real issues. Like, issues are, are you walking in truth? Are you a man who, who believes the gospel? Or are you a man who's walking it out? Like, those are the things that really matters, whether, whatever denomination you are. That's what we're, we should be looking for to see we, whether we have fellowship with someone else and we can draw unity along different uh, denomination, traditional denominational lines if we, can, if we could look for these things. Is the man walking in character? Is he bearing fruit? Is, uh, is, do I evidence love, the love of Christ when I'm talking to you? Do I see sincerity? Do I see kindness? Things like that. So I'm going to be talking about uh, today the obstacle of falsehood. And uh, a lot of times, we, and it's supposed to be the obstacle of false prophets, false teachers, because the, the verse I'm drawing from Second Peter actually says those phrases. But uh, a lot of times we just think that false prophets and true prophets and that whole thing is an Old Testament thing. And all the prophets today are just good. They all had the Holy Spirit, were good. And it's not the case in the scriptures. It's actually saying the showdown between uh, true and false prophets only culminates towards the end of the age. We get something like an Antichrist and a false prophet, and a, you know. Uh, and these things, obviously, today are happening. True prophets, true messengers, true shepherds, true leaders, true fathers, and false. And, and uh, instead of just kind of calling out specific movements and things and saying, watch out for this, watch out for that, watch out for this, people rise up every day. New things rise up every day. Um, it's better to for me to just uh, paint the picture that the scripture is telling us about the narrative between truth and falsehood, and then you can apply that to churches. You can apply that to your own life. If you're becoming false, you can apply it to your own life. You can apply that within your community. You can apply that when you're listening to preachers and stuff like that, and have a grid for understanding uh, truth and falsehood. So Second Peter one introduction, uh, I'm on page eight doesn't have the page number there, but it's page 8. Uh, so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you uh, do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Verse uh one of the next chapter, but false prophets also arose among the people, just just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, 
even denying the master who brought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality. Just think of the desires of the flesh, whatever the cravings are. They follow, they're following their lust and their desires and their whatever, their greed and their ambition. And because of them, this is the obstacle I'm presenting, because of them, the way of the truth, the gospel, will be maligned or blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And that's a reference to the next chapter. The Lord is not slow and slack and asleep concerning these kinds of things. But the judgment, the day of the Lord, right? He's patiently waiting, and, and these things will happen. And a lot of the wickedness, a lot of wicked people, you start scoffing at the day of the Lord, and they go, I got away with a couple things. I feel confident that I could just keep walking in error and falsehood because I'm getting good things out of it. And I don't think there is a day of the Lord. I'm calling God's bluff. I'm just going to continue living the way I'm living. And, and, and Peter is saying, no, their destruction is not idle. It's not delayed. It's going to happen exactly as the Lord prophesied. So in this passage, Peter refers to the gospel as the way of truth. The way of truth. It's not just a message, but a way of the truth. The flock is brought along the way of truth through true shepherds who are sent from God. And the flock is hindered from this path by those who masquerade as true shepherds, but they're not truly sent. Okay, So one gathers the sheep on a narrow path, and the other scatters the sheep on a broad path of destruction. False shepherds have deceived and exploited the flock from the beginning. I'm talking about the Garden of Eden. And will continue to arise in the greatest strength at the end of the age. And we have to believe that. That's not greatest strength in the New Testament church, greatest strength in the Old Testament, Baal and, you know, Elijah. No, in greatest strength, we're going to see false prophets arise at the end of the age. So this teaching will focus on how to discern between the way of truth and the way of falsehood. All right, so this has direct implication for today. I, I really believe there are false prophets and they're not like secretly like in caves, kind of like scheming and they have like a following of the two or three people. No, like popular level, false prophets, false teachers. But I, you know, we, I hesitate to be the guy who's like, you're false. You know, I don't, I, I just don't like doing that. I'd rather just say, hey, church, let's, let's be discerning. And a lot of times it's, it's hard, right? Because, um, and let's actually continue on the notes here. So scripture's witness or the scripture's narrative about true verse false. Now, I say shepherds, but I mean all leaders, all types of leaders. True versus false shepherds. So throughout the scripture, we see a tension that results in a dramatic confrontation between the true and false servants of the Lord. It's like, you know, you guys ever play mafia? It's like, I'm mafia. Or you're mafia. No, you're mafia, but one of you knows who's mafia, right? And it's just like this tension because no one else knows, right? You're just lying. So it's kind of like this dramatic tension, the mark of validity uh, that a servant had actually been called by God or speaking by the power of God was the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. And the Old Testament leaders were anointed with oil. Right? That's what that word anointing means, right? The, uh, pouring out of oil upon their head to signify something. And it's a signifying that this person is now acting under the leadership of God and they're no longer acting by their own will. So no, they're no longer serving their own will. This person is we're externally acknowledging this man is now set apart by the will of God. He's acting under the spirit of God. This is a man sent by God. Right? And that's kind of the, the right of anointing. Uh, so the tension is 
uh, or lies in that there are, are many imposters, wolves in sheep's clothing, who also claim, I'm under the Spirit of God. And, and uh, it's not like a, like a, and a lot of guys will say that, right? A lot of people will preach and they'll say, I'm, this is by the Spirit of God, I heard from the Lord, blah, 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 right? And, and the scriptures just kind of direct this, like Mark, you know, Matthew 7. It's like, you'll know them by their fruit. And some of this fruit, it's hard to tell when the guy's up here and they're using the right language and signs of wonders are happening. People are getting excited. It's hard to tell the fruit. Fruit is very simple. It's just, just do day-to-day life. And eventually, who you are comes out. The words that you use, the things you do, the patterns you follow, the, the, the lust and desire of flesh are very hard to hide. They eventually come out in day-to-day living. So you, you, this is the one way that we can discern between true and false. It, it has, the church has to come to a place of uh, not relating so far from one another. But as we, as we draw closer, it becomes evident that we can speak into some, some of these things. Um, so Ezekiel 13 is one of the, uh, and Jeremiah 23, uh, one of the two uh, just real intense uh, passages we have about false prophets. So I quote just, you know, I could go on and on, but I'm just doing a couple of verses here. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel, Israel who prophesy and say to those who prophesy from their own inspiration, right? Second Peter, their own imagination. Listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who are following their own spirit and have seen nothing. Woe to the Foolish prophets who are following their own spirit and have seen nothing. All right, so I'm going to go into a little bit of a summarization of some patterns that we see in the Old Testament with this confrontation between the true and the false. So oftentimes the true prophet was called in a time of crisis as a result of God's contention with his people or his contention with the nations. The prophet was called to warn of impending calamity and to turn the people back to God in repentance. Okay, so it's not a tough, it's not an easy calling to be called by God. It's time of crisis, and everyone's going one way, and you're the messenger of God saying, guys, turn, right? And so think of Micah. We love this passage. But as for me, I'm filled with power, the Holy Spirit, justice, and might. We're like, yeah, praise God. To do what? To declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Whoa. No, no, I don't want to do that. I want to be filled with the power of God. I don't want to have a tough message that people are going to reject, right? And so this is what, it took the power of God, the spirit of God, the anointing of God, and to, not, and to say, I'm not doing my own will to do an assignment such as this. Few, few actually can say, Lord, here, I, here am I, send me, when they know what they're being sent to do, right? Uh, the tension was accentuated by the reality that people often preferred the message of the false prophet. So the true prophet is being sent in the context of false prophets. They're not just being sent in the vacuum. There's, a, there's another message going on, and God's saying, you go and preach the opposite message. Right? And the people prefer the false prophets because it appeases the flesh and appeases the wisdom of man. It seems sentimental to us. It seems like it's a humanistic type, like it feels good. It rubs my, my flesh the right way. And I relate to this guy. You are telling me something that just, I just don't want to do. And to make matters worse, the prophets, the false prophets were bribed even to give false words. Right? Like um, I, I quoted uh, across reference Numbers 22 with Balaam. 
All right, the prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule under own authority. My people love it so. Are we the church that loves it so? And we allow this environment because we love the false prophets. We love the message that appeases the flesh. And so we invite them and we build systems. And you know what I'm saying? Like we, are we the church that loves it so? Are we a church that loves the truth? Even if it's hard and bears on us. But what will you do at the end of it? And a lot of times this is God's way of of saying, how will it go for you at the day of the Lord? Would you only discern what your end would be? Would would it be that you are wise? Because wisdom is discerning the end. If you have wisdom, you would turn, right, and and discern the end. Because in the end, God takes the cloak off of the false prophets. He exposes and makes a clear distinguishing line. This is true, and these were my people who are true. And this was the fault. It's like the game of mafia is over. God reveals who's true and who's false. I'm sorry for the mafia references. I am Korean, and we, we love that game. <laughs> Koreans love the game, and Gary's Italian. So, All right, so, uh, so D, the call to be God's true prophet was not eagerly received. It's not like when God said, here, uh, I called you since your mother's womb. It's not like the prophets would say, awesome. Like Jeremiah saying, cursed the day I was born, right? Why? Why? Because it's not easy to be God's prophet, right? Because you know what your life's going to look like. It would, inevitably, you would be rejected and by hardened people. Moreover, the prophet would be accused as the one who is false, right? And be marginalized, persecuted, and martyred. We just saw the life of Paul. True, but being called an imposter. Like, I'm the one who's true, and you're recognizing me as an imposter, Right, so accused as, not just accused as not being sent by God, accused as being a false prophet. This is why it would require God's spirit and power to be God's true witness. The prophet would need courage to suffer and endure backlash. If the prophet is just going to go preach the word, they throw rocks at him, he runs back to God and says, God, I quit. It doesn't, it doesn't do any good. The prophet needs endurance and perseverance to continue and suffer along with the people, right, and bear the message of God. Therefore, the strength to suffer on account of bearing a true witness is a defining mark of the true prophet, the willingness to suffer for your message, right? right who suffer not just for being stupid, suffer for righteousness' sake, right? Not, not, I'm not talking about suffering for just making dumb you know, mistakes in your life, but the if you're, if you're willing to suffer on account of the word that God's given you, it's a, it's a distinguishing mark that you really are called by God and the spirit of God really is resting upon you because otherwise you would fail and you would just run back, lick your wounds, and stop preaching. 1 Peter 4, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose because he, has, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. All right, so there's a lot of exhortations. Endure suffering. Why? Just because God likes when we suffer? No, there's a redemptive purpose. He's saying endure suffering because, because on account of bearing the, the uh, true witness, you will receive backlash. You will be marginalized. You will be rejected. There will be trials and pressures that will come upon you. Why? Because there's powers and principalities and the enemy, and they hate and resist the word of God. They suppress the truth. They persecute the truth. And they get people along in their, in their, uh, their mission, right, to, to persecute the, the gospel. 
So F, to reveal the depravity and the hardness of people's heart in seeking after falsehood. God, this is, this is where I get, I'm grabbing hold of the charismatic's attention right now. Okay, I'm, I'm, I myself am a, I consider myself charismatic, pers- uh, charismatic in the sense I believe in the gifts and the, of the Holy Spirit. But let me just say this. To reveal and expose the depravity of people's heart in seeking after wisdom, uh, falsehood, God would go to the extent of allowing false signs and wonders to test his people. And that's explicit in Deuteronomy 13. Uh, he, God himself would do, set up the scenario. I'm going to allow false signs and wonders and people will say, run after other gods. And I'm doing this to test if you love the Lord your God. And, I'm, and it's not like it's an isolated incident in Deuteronomy 13. We see this throughout the New Testament, Matthew 7, right? Uh, not all who come to me saying, Lord, Lord, I prophesy to cast out demons. And, and what does God say? You do are a wickedness, right? And I believe it's in line with Deuteronomy 13 or 2 Thessalonians, right? We can read it right there. The lawless one is coming in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders. We see that in Revelation 13. The second beast has power. He's, doing, he's accomplishing signs and wonders and mesmerizing people. And, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. So does it say Satan sends a deluding influence? No, God is sending a deluding influence. Why? Why would he do that? To test if you love the truth, right? The words that were written. For this, uh, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. So there is a, it doesn't say uh, those who believe the truth, but take pleasure in falsehood. It's actually correlating falsehood with wickedness. We're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, G, in the New Testament, we see that this tradition, this narrative, this continuum, it carries forth in the days of the apostles who carry, the, who carry forth the witness of Christ crucified. It doesn't just end, right? There's Paul's being accused as an imposter. All the apostles, all the apostles were pretty much martyred, right? Like the, the message was resisted in the early church, right? And not, only, not only so, we are promised, okay? God promised, Jesus promises us this, that the tension will culminate in the last days, before God comes himself to settle the controversy and vindicate his true servants. Guys, the true servants of Christ won't be vindicated until Jesus comes. Right? And that's why 2, Peter, uh, 2 Timothy 2 and Paul says, like, but the seal of God remains like God knows those who are his. And how many of us know that we are God's in the inside? Like the true messengers of God, they know this inside. They know how they, like Paul knows the testimony of his own conscience. I know how I labor. I know how I pray for the church. I know how I check my heart day and night. I know how I pray. I know I'm testing my own heart and knowing that I am God's and, and God knows that, that, that Paul is mine, right? And, and so at the, um, but the tension is that no one else really knows, right? And they'll accuse you as being an imposter, but at the end of the age, God will come and vi- a part of the, the age to come, the glory of his appearing is he's coming to vindicate his servants, it's coming to redeem each of those times that you're, you're whatever, whether it was misunderstood or marginalized or persecuted. God's going to tend to those things that happen. And he's going to bring vindication and reward. We see that in Revelation 11. All right, so falsehood and the flesh, uh, number three. All right, so uh, Western worldview, which is the, the worldview that we have pretty much all grown up in in the West. 
It narrates that the issue of truth and falsehood is one of knowledge and ignorance. Right? If you have knowledge and education, you are true or you have truth. And if you are ignorant and you don't have an education, you, you, you are false. Right? That's kind of how we dictate truth and, and falsehood. Uh, and falsehood is something, we believe falsehood is something that can be overcome in the arena of the mind. As long as we just get education, we can educate people to believe the truth. Um, however, the biblical witness, the biblical worldview says opposite, right, or differently. The false, that falsehood is actually a heart condition, not a mind condition. It originates in the heart. Jeremiah 17, there's an inward rebellion against the truth that God has made readily attainable for those who would humble themselves and approach God in sincerity, right? So those who humble themselves find truth, and those who uh, work in rebellion, right, they, they are led towards falsehood. The inward rebellion in the heart of man pollutes and distorts the thoughts and beliefs, and when the heart and the mind are compromised, the wicked justify their wicked deeds, Turn the page. All right, even to the point of searing their conscience. Right, the thing that the, the thing that God has graciously given us to discern truth and falsehood. We kind of have this feeling like we just know this is wrong, and eventually, if you keep doing it, it gets seared, and you can't even tell. And you start thinking, and you start justifying yourself, and you start going, "This is okay. This is God's will for me. I could do this." And you justify your wicked deeds, right? So B, Scripture so often associates falsehood with other lusts of the flesh. Those who are false, right, and this is when I'm talking about Jeremiah and Ezekiel, those who are false are also violent, right? It's not just like those who are false, they just tell lies. They're violent. They're lustful. They're murderous. They're greedy. They rob people. They make, men, they make, they, they make widows, right? Like they, they, they work in corruption. So the issue of falsehood is not an issue of well-meaning ignorance or, or genuine confusion. Oh, that person is not, not false. He's just confused. No, it's an issue. The issue of falsehood is an issue of the flesh. Right? It's, it's that if you, in, if you live a life of indulging the flesh, you will become false. And if you become false, you will become violent. You will become murderous. You will become greedy. All of these things will start to happen, right, just by the issue of do you deny the flesh or do you indulge the flesh? And I'm going to go through some of the prophetic passages here. Micah 3, her leaders pronounce judgment for a bribe. Her priests instruct for a price, and her prophets divine for money. All right, Jeremiah 6, for them, for, uh, for them, the least of them, even the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Meaning God has contention still. And they say, God, all is, all is well. All is well, God, there's no contention. We don't need to turn and repent. Jeremiah 23, moreover, among the prophets of Samaria, I saw an offensive thing. They prophesied by Baal, led my people Israel astray. Also among the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen a horrible thing. The committing of adultery and walking in falsehood. And they strengthen the hands of evildoers. So the false prophets are justifying the wicked in their wicked deeds and strengthening the hands of evildoers so that no one has turned from back from his uh, wickedness. All of them have become to me like Sodom and are inhabitants like Gomorrah. Ezekiel 22, 
There is a conspiracy of our prophets in our midst, like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured lives. They've taken treasure and precious things. They've made many widows in the midst of her. Where do we see that language? Roaring lion devouring the prey. We said in the epistles, right? First Peter 5. And what does, Peter, what does uh, Peter say? Satan is roaring like a lion devouring, right, the flock. Well, how is Satan doing that explicitly? Well, we see right here, Peter's referencing the false prophets. Through the false prophets, Satan is devouring the flock, right? And they're making widows. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. Her princes within are like wolves tearing the prey by shedding blood and destroying lives in order to get this honest gain. Right? If the cost of dishonest, if the cost of gain, the cost of, uh, of some ambition for you is worth lying and deceiving, eventually it will become worth destroying and killing and whatever else, robbery. Like it, it escalates, right? Falsehood escalates. Her, her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land have practiced oppression and committed robbery, and they have wronged the poor and the needy and have oppressed the sojourner without, without justice. And then we all know Matthew 23, the woes to the Pharisees. And Jesus exposes the falsehood in the Pharisees and warns of impending judgment. The Pharisees were wolves in sheep clothing. They performed righteousness outwardly to gain their reputation before man, but inwardly they're, they're wicked and false. The Pharisees, in keeping with the tradition of the false prophets and teachers, deliver Jesus to crucifixion in an attempt to suppress and hide the truth. Okay, think about that. The falsehood for the Pharisees might have begun 20, 30 years before in their career as Pharisees, and they just started telling little white lies, wanting, oh, I, I say a little, I, I change the truth a little bit, and I get a little bit of gain. That's good. A couple years down the road, you're doing it more. And then you get into some controversy and you try to hide it up. So you go, well, how do, I hide, how do I hide up this thing? This mess I made myself with money. And, oh, we could just get rid of that witness. And, you, and now you're, like, conspiring in the murder. And next thing you know, you kill the Prince of Glory. You crucify the Messiah. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is how quickly it can escalate. And now you're working in, like, you're working with powers and principalities. Like, you know, you crucify the Messiah. How bad, how bad can it get? Like, how much worse does it get than that? All right, but it, it starts with falsehood. Okay, it begins with, like I say here, it begins with the small white lies that are advantageous. They seem expedient. They seem like it beneficial, but it's like leaven. And before you know it, your, your hands are, right, your hands are guilty with blood. I don't know if the church has gone that degree of intensity right in our falsehood like i know that there's financial scandal there's adultery scandal going on all the time and at what point does the issue of falsehood and truth escalate to that degree or we're now we're beginning to see violence and bloodshed over this issue and i'm speaking this to the church not just to like scare you guys <laughs> like i want this to resonate within right because um and i, I quickly want to recommend a book by uh, our cats Really small, easy read. Um, it's only cost a few dollars on Amazon. It's called Spirit of Truth. And this book has massively uh, convicted me. Um, and the title right here says, We Seek Truths. God Seeks to Make Us True. 
right? It's not just about knowing truths. It's about being true inwardly, all right? And, and having our hearts and our minds and our actions all in alignment and harmony together. And so this book convicted me of the little things where in my heart, yeah, I, 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 I exaggerate or I, 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 you know what I mean? I lie. I tell little white lies here and there to tr- because it, it's expedient for me. It gets me something out of it. And just seeing the harm in that and where that's going to go. And if, I am a, if I'm trying to be a servant of the gospel, right, it's kind of like, like an athlete who, who wants to uh, be in prime condition so that they can play the sport, right, that they're playing. It's like how can you as someone who preaches truth and, and, and you know what I mean, like your, your primary uh, call in life is to speak truth. How can you be deal, dealing with any level of falsehood? That's the level it, it convicted me. How could I be on the side just kind of lying, exaggerating, doing all these things? But my main job is to speak the truth and to have credibility in what I'm saying. And, and it, like, what happens when you're, you're preaching the gospel and you're telling people how precious it is, and then they spend a few days with you and they just, you know, they're, all look, they're looking up to you and they, they start noticing, like, behaviors because you haven't learned to restrain and deny the flesh. And then they're, they're, now, they're, now they're calling the uh, credibility all the things you've spoken about how precious the gospel is and all these things about laying down your life, and they're going, I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing uh, the alignment there, right? And it calls into, into uh, question the gospel itself. And I'm not applying that um, to me because I'm a missionary. I'm applying that to the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the, support, the pillar and support of truth. If we're not speaking the truth, who is? Right? Who else in the world is proclaiming a message of truth? If we are stewarding the truth as body of Christ, how can we afford to be dabbling in falsehood at any level in our lives. All right, there needs to be, as, as a messenger of truth, there needs to be accountability. There needs to be uh, vulnerability. There needs to be an openness about your life and what, and what you do with your life. There needs to be a, hey, I'm inviting people into my life. There's no secret compartments in my life. There needs to be that level, which is a very tough and hard thing to do. It's a requiring thing. But if we do say we value the gospel, this is what it requires, right, that we become uh, that in all areas of life, we have, t- we have a safeguard and a testing of ourselves, that we stay in the truth and walk in the way of truth. So how do we over- overcome this obstacle? I've, hi- I've highlighted this obstacle, okay, and, and it's a- a- applicable in our lives as people. It's applicable in the church today. It's going to become increasingly ap- applicable as we approach the end of the age and we see false prophets arise in the storm. So how do we overcome? And there's many ways. I'm going to highlight a couple that came to my mind as I've been preparing. All right, so falsehood is a symptom of our depraved flesh. And a life that is set on indulging the flesh will harden our hearts toward the truth. Okay, so flesh produces falsehood. Spirit produces truth. So if you are living an indulgent life, and I'm not trying to say that like coming down on people. This is my, I'm saying this even to my own heart, right? If you live an indulgent life, a lot of times... I can't just specify one particular thing. We know the things that we do to indulge and find comfort or whatever it is that we know, like, this might be outside of the will of God, but, you know, whatever. We're kind of blurring the lines. If we are set on a lifestyle that indulges the flesh, meaning if we're set on a life living for the flesh, you will eventually harden and sear your heart towards the truth. And then when you want the truth, and you read the Bible and you say, oh, that, I want that verse to convict me like it did before. And you read it and all of a sudden, it's just numb, unfeeling. And you're going, how? How, does it, how do I get this thing to work again? How do I turn it on? I, you know, like I used to be so convicted by the word of God. What, what's happened? Lifestyle indulging the flesh, it just kills 
that it kills the truth in you, right? It kills that desire for truth. It hardens the heart, deadens the heart. But a life set on the spirit and denying the flesh. When I say, like, when I say going after the spirit, it kind of becomes vague. But just, when that, Lord, in the beginning of the year, oppressed on me to pray the, uh, one prayer for the whole year, make me a man of the spirit. And I had all these ideas. And, and then I realized the Lord is just saying, make me a man who denies myself. You can simply deny the desires that I normally go to and think are my rights to have as a human being. Can you, deny, can you say no, Hans, to those little things? Can you say no? I know you've never said no before. Can you say no, like this year, can you say no to those things? And if you set your life on denying yourself, you will create an atmosphere in your heart that readily responds to truth. And you read like the simplest Bible passages. You're like, oh, Lord, you know, like go to, you, you can go to like any message and, and there's something that can hit you and convict you. And so I, I'm encouraging us. If you want to overcome falsehood, it, it starts with denying the flesh. How is falsehood overcome? How is the leaven? Okay, that's, I don't know why I put that statement there. See, uh, true repentance is not an outward act. Okay, it's not just something you do, you say. It's not just confession from our minds. But true repentance begins at the heart level. It, it, it looks like this, a sincere cry from the heart upon God's mercy to forgive and heal us. And God hears the cry of the broken and the contrite. And he knows whether you're broken and contrite or you're just faking it. And who have lost all confidence in the flesh. And he releases his spirit and power to crucify and deny the flesh. Only from that place can our minds and our deeds become purified and washed so we can become true through and through, inwardly and outwardly. Isn't that the greatest desire today for the church to be inwardly and outwardly true? Not just know truth in our mind, but have it register in our hearts in such a powerful way that our actions begin to change. And when people see us, they begin noticing a different person. Right? And isn't that like some of the main ways we evidence that someone's been saved and turned from death to life? We, we can see that the, you start, you know what I mean? Like, you used to be on drugs. You threw away all your drugs. You don't do drugs anymore. Right? Like, it it's becomes an evident thing when someone turns. And, and it's evident that inwardly and outwardly, through and through, you become washed and renewed. And then uh, sec, uh, Titus 2 is a really good exhortation that has the elements of the cross, the Holy Spirit, and the day of the Lord as an exhortation to live this life uh, denying yourself. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. It instructs us, the cross, the grace of God that appeared, the Holy Spirit, these things that bring salvation, don't just bring salvation, it instructs us, deny ungodliness, deny worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Live sensibly, according to the grace that's been given, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. How many of us are living our lives looking for the blessed hope? Because it, it's, it requires the people who are looking for the blessed hope are people who have banked their lives on it in a, in a way that's costly. And every day, like <laughs> I met with a couple of these brothers in the last couple of days, and they're groaning for the return of Jesus. Why? They've invested their whole lives for the gospel, and they're receiving the backlash and the hardship, and it's like, a, you know what I mean? Like every day they're pushing through for the gospel, and they're going, come, Lord Jesus. And it's a real, I'm looking for Jesus to come. I'm not just, it's not just language, but I live my life for my own hopes, my own little hopes, my American dream hope, hope of 
my future five years down the road. I'm, I'm still banking on those things. But it's people who've lost all of those hopes, all those delusions faded away. And now one hope has become about, uh, exceedingly clear, and you live your whole life in that one direction. So looking for, so the cross, the Holy Spirit, the return of Jesus, and I'm going to break that down real quick. So the cross of the Lord Jesus is, base, is, a, is the basis of God's mercy for sinners. The cross reveals the beauty of God, the wisdom of God, and the power of God in the life that is laid down and crucified with Christ. How many of us can see a person, a man or woman, who's laid down their life, literally crucified with Christ, or you see like Jim Elliot, like you see the movie, you see the martyrdom, and all of a sudden you're struck with all these emotions, and it's like you're, something's happening where the Lord's communicating, this is the beauty of the Lord, this is the po- profound wisdom of the Lord, this is the power of the Lord. You don't have language for it, but it's like the way of the cross communicates something about the nature of God. The cross is God's righteousness, and it's also his measure for truth. The cross is the standard and measure of truth. One cannot become true apart from the work of the cross in their lives. You can read all the encyclopedias. You can read the Bible. You can read all theological books. Apart from the cross and the life in the cross, you cannot become true. The cross reminds us to humble ourselves, to deny our flesh, and to stay on our knees in prayer and dependence upon God alone. The Holy Spirit is God's response to the broken sinner who calls upon the God of the cross. It is a divine grace that sets men apart to live for the will of God and to no longer be slaves to their own lustful desires. It sets you apart, like we said in the beginning of this teaching, right? The Spirit of God is God's evidence that you have been set apart now. You don't live for your own desires anymore. You're not led by your own lustful, whatever, the will and the things that you want. Now you're being led by his will. Not your will, but his will be done. Right? So we have Holy Spirit that empowers the small yes in our hearts to become a more resounding yes as we mature. Uh, F, the return of Jesus anchors us in the hope of eternal life. Those who have lost hope and no longer believe that God will come. Okay? They say the day of the Lord is not going to happen. The world's just going to continue on the way it has always been. These guys cast off all restraint and they give their lives to indulge the flesh. It's the gospel of the flesh. The world stinks. And life stinks. We might as well get some pleasure out of it. Let's indulge the flesh. Let's live for the indulgence of the flesh. Let's build a gospel for the indulgence of the flesh. And life is just about gathering as much money and pleasure and experience as you possibly can before you die and rot, right? Like it becomes its own gospel, right? But those who do have hope, right, know that just in a little while he is coming, Right? That he who is coming will come and will not delay. Those who really believe and that hope is shining bright in their hearts, they are exhorted each day to live by faith in Christ crucified. They choose the way of truth even if it's narrow. They no longer scoff but believe that he is coming quickly and his reward and vindication is with him. Right? Paul lived in such a way. He gave so, he gave so much of his life that he, was, he got to the point where he said, no amount of bribery can reward what I've gone through, the sufferings I've gone through. You can offer me, Satan, you can offer me a kingdom. You can offer me a private island. You can offer me all the mansions. None of those things can reward and and vindicate and justify all the experiences I've gone through, only the age to come. He's He got to the point of no return. That's what I'm trying to say, right? How many of us have gotten to that point of no return? Where, where nothing else can entice you anymore. The things I've gone through for Christ, 
only God can reward now. Only a coming age of glory. Only resurrection and kingdom and glory of the Lord coming like the water over the seas, right? And son of David ruling from his throne in Jerusalem, rewarding the righteous and, and exalting us and honoring us and right, glory, honor, immortality, eternal life. Only that can be a just reward for the things I've gone through for Christ. And I'm encouraging the saints, encouraging myself, get to that point of no return. There's no longer any enticements left for that you know, enemy can dangle in front of you. Okay, as we near the end of the age, false prophets and teachers will continue to arise. They will, they will perform false signs and wonders as God tests those who love the truth. In order for the body of Christ to overcome that test of truth, we must learn today to deny ourselves in the small things. I'm highlighting today the small test of truth. I can't highlight martyrdom as a, as a, like a visceral reality for our everyday life. It's just not there in, the, in America yet, right? Maybe if you're a missionary. But right now in America, it's, we're not at that level of testing of truth. But we are at the day of small tests, small beginnings. And I encourage us to figure out those small ways where God is testing you and that you can say yes to God and deny yourself. It's like, you know, and Roger always <laughs> Roger says, like, the learning about the cross and dying yourself is actually a really good heart value for, like, going on a diet <laughs> or, like, trying to work out or lose weight because it's like, it's like the same principle. Like, you've got to value denying yourself. You can't just indulge every, every single craving, right? Like, it, it's, it's kind of like a similar thing where it's like, and, but for him, that was like, I'm sorry, I, called, I even said your name, Roger, but, uh, but it... <laughs> But that's what I'm trying to highlight, little ways where it's just like, you know, I feel like I'm indulging every food craving. And I think there's a real issue tied here. Like, the Lord's asking me to fast and pray and have my senses keen. And I'm just, every time anything hard happens, instead of running to the word of God in prayer, I just eat myself to death. <laughs> I eat ice cream or whatever. I'm indulging the flesh. I watch TV. A couple hours of Netflix. Oh, yeah, I feel, uh, you don't feel better. You just feel like whatever, intoxicated. You feel numb and dull and the lord saying in those little things can you deny yourself and run to him small test of truth the small craigslist deal and you're you're like what condition is that ipad in and you know that it's not running the way it was when you first got it and you go yeah everything's running excellent two hundred dollars please and your conscience hits you and you go yeah i dropped this like 15 times it's running like 50% of what it normally did. Um, also, you know, I, I kind of had to like paint on something that got stretched off. Here, man, what, you know, you know what I'm saying? And it, like, this is the way it just inconveniences your life. Like, I've, I've, I've had these kinds of experiences where I can no longer like maximize my profits on like little transactions because the conviction of God hits me. And it's like, if you compromise in this area, Hans, in the little things, how can you endure the test at the end of the age? When false signs and wonders are happening, right? And, and it's like you're going to go the way of your flesh in that day if you can't learn to deny yourself for like $10 profit margin. <laughs> you know, like, just deny yourself now. Just learn to do it. We're on letter H. We, also, we are also in urgent need of true servants who have been called to the body of Christ as shepherds. Those who really are sent by God. Those who are tested and found true. I'm, I'm in dire need of... of, of men around my life that I can just see and I put them to the test and they come forth and I go, yeah, I can follow your example. I'm in dire need. The body of Christ is starving for this reality. 
true elders, true shepherds, true leaders in the body, in the, in the faith. Those who have walked the walk, those who have denied themselves and are now bearing much fruit in the Holy Spirit. And if you can deny yourself in the little things, you are qualified now to lead the people who can't deny themselves in the little things. You know what I'm saying? Like we're always in need of that example. The person who did, like, man, you did overcome your, your cell phone addiction? Praise God. Man, you did overcome Netflix? I never thought I could do that. You did overcome that food, that food addiction you had, that pornography addiction that you had. You overcame in these areas, these little things. Like, I was addicted to Pokemon Go. You know what I'm saying? And you, you went through that, and you overcame it. You know, and I remember a test in my life. I remember when I was 16, and I woke up, and I took my uh, video game, and I broke it. And I rem- Because I remember saying, like, I can't be a child anymore, but i got to be a man. You know, like... And I, I got all dramatic. I, tr- I tried to break it. I couldn't break it. And I was like, and, that, and I remember, like, as I was bending, you know, these CDs can really bend. And as I was bending, I was like, maybe I should just bend it back and, like, pretend this never happened. It's like the temptation hit me. And I was like, no, bam, and it broke. And I never played video games again. You know what I mean? Like, it was broken off of me. And I'm talking about the little test of faith, and they bear so much fruit over the years. And in my life, there's so many other tests of faith, you know, the test of loving your wife. Loving your children, loving the church, you know what I mean? Test of not grumbling, not, not being bitter. There's so many, te- the test of contentment, being content with what you have, not seeking out and coveting other people's stuff, right? The test of your eyes, keeping your eyes on the Lord. I mean, so many, the test of the mind, the test of your words. There's so many tests that we can, that, that are so applicable and practical to, the, uh, to us today, even in America. Last one. So we must take advantage of the short time we have now. It took Moses 40 years of testing to be fitted, formed, and found worthy to shepherd Israel. Okay, it took John the Baptist nearly like 99% of his life for that calling of whatever. Right? It takes these prophets. It's never, it's never quick. It's always years and decades for one to be tested thoroughly to form agreement and harmony between the message and the messenger himself. It takes... An hour or two. It takes 20 hours investment to go through a biblical worldview. You know? It takes three months to read through the Bible. It takes years and decades to form a harmony between what you believe, your convictions, and what you actually do to walk that conviction out. And so I'm encouraging us. There's no time to waste. What better day to start than today? Start evaluating our lives and, and saying no to certain things that we know for a long time the Lord's been bothering us and pestering us about. We begin to say, you know, this has big ramifications, big consequences. These things do escalate. I need, to, if I'm going to be found true, right, and resist falsehood, I really got to start now today. So, Father, we ask you for that grace, that very grace that you gave your servants, the prophets, that you gave your servants, the apostles. And, God, they had the Holy Spirit to help them. They had the Spirit of God to help them say no to themselves. And to live not for the desire of the flesh, but for the will of God. And how, how, uh, how jealous are we for that, God, in our lives. That our lives, when people look at it, and they test and prod it and peer into it, and they stress test our lives to see, are you truly a disciple? Are you truly uh, 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 thorough, thoroughly uh, inwardly and outwardly true? Or could they say... Could they say that about our lives, Lord? And I ask you, God, for conviction today for myself and for for my friends here. God, that we would seek by the the grace of the Holy Spirit, the power of the wisdom of the cross, 
and the knowledge of your coming, your soon returning, that would, that would, and that would become more pressing and urgent, God. Uh, we pray for grace to align our hearts and our minds and our lives, God, to this gospel, to conform our lives to Christ Jesus. Help us, Father. Help us even today to make some of those hard decisions. And we ask you, Lord, to help us to spur one another on in this good work, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.